1: and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. And I'm joined, as always, with Eric Eggers, author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. So the debate over the integrity of the 2020 election has basically been dominated by two strains of thought. One thought, nothing went wrong. There is nothing to see. The election came off smoothly and clearly, uh, and there was no corruption. uh, There was uh, no erosion of the integrity of the election. The other view that's often expressed is this something James Bond like took place to undermine the election. Venezuelans, maybe Chinese and Russians cyber hacked voting machines and shifted the results. But now comes a third middle ground position. It wasn't James Bond. It was more Tammany Hall. Big corporations, big tech, and a Democratic machine manipulated the electoral process and had a major impact on the 2020 election results. That's the central premise of Molly Hemingway's new book. Molly, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: It's wonderful to be here with
1: you. So Molly Hemingway is a senior editor at The Federalist. She's a contributor at Fox News. Uh, She also is the recent recipient um, of the Bradley uh, Prize for her reporting. And she's written a wonderful new book that we're going to be discussing today. And in fact, Eric Eggers, uh, my uh, uh, partner here in the podcast, wrote a book a couple of years ago called Fraud About Election Integrity. So I'm looking forward to the discussion that you guys are going to have, of course, in my humble opinion. Opinion: The best part of your book was the uh, <clears throat> was the introduction, but that goes without saying.
0: But let's- because he wrote it, Molly, just to be <laughs> just to be clear.
1: So let me get things started. Um, and I would commend to anybody um, if you see Molly Hemingway's byline online on a book, I always stop and read it. And I don't say this very often uh, because there's so much information, so much that's being published. When I read Molly's stuff, there's always something new and important I learn every single time. But let me first start and ask you, Molly, in 2020, how central was the fact that we had COVID to what unfolded? Could any of the manipulation have occurred if this had been somehow a non-COVID year and they had not declared this sort of national health emergency that became a premise for so much that took place?
2: Well, first off, thank you very much for the kind words. That means a lot, particularly coming from you. Um, And I'm really glad that I was able to write this book and and look at everything. I looked at it the same way you introduced it, that there were these sort of dueling conspiracy theories. And I just needed to report it and research it to find out what the answer was. But clearly COVID played a huge role in what happened. And I think in two ways. One is how it affected the campaigns, um, how it affected what had prior to the release of the unleashing of of COVID upon the world, how uh, Donald Trump was on track to win. He had somehow managed to overcome all of these obstacles. You have a good economy, have a great economy, reorienting our foreign policy away from interventionist nation building into uh, being more concerned about the role China played, uh, you know, working on border policy, he was having a lot of success and everything was going pretty well. So, how, having COVID really affected his favorability. Uh, it was a huge thing to deal with. He got kind of the big picture stuff right, but had a lot of public messaging issues, and uh, and it just affected his campaign. At the same time, that it enabled Joe Biden to hide in the basement and have corporate media run his portion of the campaign. But for the purposes of the election itself, it also played a huge role. Democrats had been for years trying to achieve their goal of flooding the zone with tens of millions of mail-in ballots at the same time that they dropped scrutiny or even eliminated, in some cases, scrutiny of mail-in ballots. And they had not had such favorable reception. They'd been making headway, but not anything like what they were able to achieve in 2020, because all of a sudden people were much more amenable to this watering down of any election integrity in the name of a global pandemic.
0: It's such a key point. I mean, even last night and we're recording this, the governor's race has been won by a Republican. The New Jersey race is too close to call. And but as the Republican candidate was ahead, they said, well, we have so many mail-in ballots still to count. And you just can't help but be impacted by the echoes of 2020 when you hear that, and not in an irresponsible, oh, what could this lead to a January 6th kind of way, but I think based on your reporting and based on the stuff that anybody that pays attention to election integrity would see is, hey, in uh, 2020, New Jersey conducted its first ever all-male election, and then in Patterson, New Jersey, they uncovered a plot to steal ballots and stuff them uh, right across the river uh, in Philadelphia, right? You had an election judge literally arrested for ballot stuffing, So I guess my question for you is this remains an incredibly present dynamic in American elections. How do you sort of thread the needle between trying to say, no, no, there are very real questions to raise about the integrity of ballots that can be cast in the manner in which a majority of them were cast during a pandemic and trying to stay away from unfounded conspiracy land.
2: Right. And. I think that those examples you cited of Patterson, New Jersey and and what happened in Philadelphia are instructive. One thing I learned in reporting and researching the book is that people describe all sorts of problems with election as fraud, when actually fraud is just one of many categories that you can have unstable, insecure elections. And Patterson, New Jersey, actually, and and Philadelphia, those are real examples of fraud. You had election outcomes that were determined through ballot stuffing or abuse of the mail-in ballot process. In both of those cases, it took, well, in the Patterson, New Jersey case, it was kind of apparent pretty quickly how big of a role fraud played. In Philadelphia, which has had a long pattern of election problems, it took years to figure out exactly what was going on. And that's true with all fraud cases. It is difficult to conclusively determine fraud, much less prosecute it. But there are all sorts of other problems that can be accomplished through mail-in balloting, including that it just makes it harder to detect fraud. Um, That is kind of the goal of mail-in balloting, is that it's much harder to know exactly what's going on. There are more opportunities for shenanigans. There are also more opportunities for litigation. And one thing that fascinated me about this was realizing that the same guy who orchestrated the 2016 election hoax, which was the lie that Donald Trump had colluded with Russia to steal the election. That guy, Mark Elias, his law firm partner, John Sussman was just indicted by John Durham uh, for his role in that lie in 2016. That same guy, Mark Elias, also orchestrated the 2020 election chaos and confusion, you know, suing to change the law in hundreds of cases throughout the country to massively expand mail-in balloting and to massively lower the scrutiny of the same. And so that is important because it just makes it so hard to conclusively find or detect fraud and uh, and increases the opportunities for it. And humans being what they are, they look for opportunities to do bad things. And up until 2020, we all admitted that mail-in balloting was ripe for fraud. That doesn't mean everybody who engages in it is committing fraud, but it just makes it for much less security. In Virginia, you had a close election that was this over—you know overwhelmingly shocking thing given that Virginia is a Democrat state and they just had a Republican sweep of government. But New Jersey is also in a close race and that is a state that has a long and storied history with, as you noted, election fraud. And it's the kind of thing that really could have determine the outcome. And it's why we should care about these things.
1: So we're talking with Molly Hemingway. She's got out a terrific new book, a bestseller called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. Uh, And you two have been talking about election fraud. You cover a lot of ground in this book uh, in depth, uh, which I think is quite a challenge. But you talk about media and big tech. Talk a little bit about the role that big tech played. Uh, Big tech in terms of Mark Zuckerberg, how he might have been involved in this. I know he was doling out a lot of money, uh, but also the role that that big tech uh, played in trying to steer the narrative of the 2020 election. You argue that was a major component of affecting the results uh, in, in the 2020 election.
2: Yeah, well, people are fighting over what actually happens in the voting booth, and they should because that stuff is very important. It is probably nothing compared to the level of meddling we have experienced in our country, thanks to these powerful tech oligarchs. So if you remember in 2016, corporate media decided that they couldn't let the American people know what Donald Trump was saying in an unfiltered way. They had to throw out all their norms Uh, that they normally pretended to have for their journalism and just be completely oppositional. And as a result, Donald Trump had a lot of success using social media. He took his message directly to people through Facebook and Twitter and other um, tech means. And so after 2016 happened and the whole elite establishment was shocked and appalled that the people hadn't done what they were supposed to do, these tech CEOs kind of openly said they would never let it happen again. And they immediately set about ramping up their already pretty significant election meddling efforts. So they dramatically gamed the search algorithm so that if you are searching for information, I think people have this false idea that like you type something into Google and it spits out an objective uh, view of what's out there on the World Wide Web that, you know, that might answer your question. And Google does so much game playing with the algorithms to suppress conservative news and information, to elevate leftist news and information, but also through other means like figuring out if you're a Democratic-leaning voter, a Republican-leaning voter, and then encouraging you to vote or register to vote if you're one, but not the other. Um, They did so many big picture things that could have moved like massive amounts of people. And you look back again to the lie that the 2016 election was stolen by Donald Trump colluding with Russia. At best, that comes down to an argument that because Russians, who of course meddle in our elections, um, had purchased like some Facebook ads for Hillary Clinton and some Facebook ads for Donald Trump, that therefore the entire integrity of the election was in question. Well, here you have the equivalent of untold massive amounts, more meddling and really high level, like psychological meddling with people's um, people's understanding of reality. And nobody seems to be concerned about the problem <laughs> Uh, that that leads to in terms of the integrity of our elections.
0: You know, it's funny. One of Peter and I's jokes is a lot of times we'll talk about things on the podcast that he has literally written a book about. Uh, in this case, I've written a book about it, but he has produced a film about the, what you just said, right? We did a film called The Creepy Line, and they talk about how um, one of the the experts, the psychologist we interviewed said, look, if Facebook and Google, and this was this film came out in 2018, if they just decided to send a get out the vote reminder to only Democrats, like that would have an untold impact on the election and the best part is no one would ever be able to prove that they did it and fast forward to 2020 and that's arguably exactly they what did. they did I mean, it. yeah
2: and there was like that one researcher who figured out by having uh he had sources from left and right throughout the country and they started realizing that only the ones on the left were getting get out the vote or register to vote reminders and the ones on the right were not i mean it's it's a massive, powerful tool, and that's you know, and that also relates, of course, to the other issue with the Mark Zuckerberg funding, which also I know <laughs> you have worked on. Um, <laughs> well, that, that you know how the, how Mark Zuckerberg figured out how to amp up get out the vote efforts by embedding into government election offices. No, I think
0: that I mean there's two things we definitely want to talk about as it relates to the role of CTCL and the Zuck Bucks and everything else, but I don't think it can be overstated the impact that when you have the big tech companies so solidly behind one candidate, the influence that has on just American society and American behavior, and and specifically, like, so you know, and anybody that's paid attention to the threat of election fraud, oh, by the way, we're now going to cast more ballots than ever before uh, in the manner that everyone sort of agrees is the least secure way possible, right? So everyone sort of says that. And we're all conditioned via big tech messaging on the lead up to the election. Hey, we're all going to win all these mail in ballots just had to be calm because it could take a long time to cast ballots. That means American democracy's function is exactly as it's intended, right? Because, hey, we're casting mail in ballots. It could take a while. Don't panic. Like we were all told that we all saw these scrolls and all these. Things that popped up. And then as soon as the election was decided, anybody that said, well, wait a minute, two weeks ago, you said it could take a minute. And this is sort of not the secure way. Uh, I have a couple questions about this, especially given the fact that there are documented instances of irregularities and fraud and lots of the places where they have a close election. Uh, can we raise a question? And those things were then shut down by the same messaging apparatus that told us on the front end. um you know, we should be patient. It's insane that that's a thing that happened and we're all sort of just okay with it.
2: And you look at how this is actually part of such a, like that itself is a massive project, but it's one in the same with the general approach that has been taken by the left to look at majority viewpoints and marginalize them. And it's very powerfully done. It's Corporate media saying you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to. Oh, if you talk about this, you're you're an outlier. Um, if you question critical race theory, you're a racist or a bigot. You know they do. The, they take these very popular ideas and they marginalize them. And they have big tech, these powerful CEOs who like openly admitted this is what they wanted to do. They have basically the entire media apparatus, uh, well-funded, corporate-sponsored, uh, and then they have like the establishment that really viewed any infringement on its current power as an existential threat that they were willing to do anything for. And it's kind of amazing given all of that messaging across all the like authority, authority levels that you actually had so much resistance from the American people. But it also reminds you of just how, you know, what would be happening if we didn't have this corruption of freedom of information in so many different ways.
0: It's a great point. Joining us is overt treasonous Molly Hemingway. And we want to ask her how long she's hated democracy. But first, uh, so the thing with the, the Zuckerberg box and like the CTCL. So for people, I mean, we use those acronyms. Maybe not everybody knows what that is. But to me, the thing that happened to Peter's original question about what's happened in the pandemic, how did the pandemic impact voting? The two things in I think the biggest categories. number one, like, yes, the CTCL allowed for the infiltration of political operatives into what was previously nonpartisan election apparatus. But but first, talk about just the with because of mail in balloting and just in the name of global health, we've always had a very nonpartisan atmosphere in which we conducted elections, right? In which we cast ballots. Like you, you go into the polling place, there's rules about you can't have any campaign official within five hundred yards of there, right? And there's for a reason. And that fundamentally changed in twenty twenty. Talk about that.
2: Right. You say we've always had it, but actually, we had to work to get mm. there first. Mm. I mean, when, before the country was founded, you actually had open no. That's true. You're right. People would say they would say what they which candidate they were supporting or what issue they were supporting publicly. But because that was so ripe for corruption, like if you owed your landlord money, he could say he would knock a little bit off the rent if you voted for his sister or you know his right. brother or whatever the <laughs> mayor. Um, they move slowly. We move slowly to secret ballot. And we also moved from having elections spread out over a period of time to a single day. It had actually affected presidential elections that we were letting states vote on different days or, you know, people were moving from one state to the next. And so to secure the integrity of the election, we moved to secret ballot. Oh, another issue is that parties used to actually print the ballots themselves. And then they would say, okay, you're in this union. So you take this party ballot and you take it into the voting booth and you come out without it, it, we know you've done the right thing. So it lacked, again, secrecy. But they move and have governments print the ballots and print it all in a uniform fashion and have it overseen in a private manner. And then starting in the late 70s, early 80s we begin to see an expansion of mail in balloting or absentee balloting we'd always had absentee balloting in some way for people who had legitimate reasons for not being able to vote on election day like they're in the military or something like that but it starts just getting much bigger some states really make it bigger and then but in 2020 it's just this explosion and People who support mail-in balloting say that you can move to a secure system if you do it really thoughtfully and deliberately. (laughs) That's not what happened in 2020. It was just like everyone was in chaos and they just, you know, they they thought they were writing rules that made sense. But you see over and over again in 2020, one county in a state interprets the rules one way, another county doesn't. So like in Pennsylvania, they say you're not supposed to count count votes until election day. And so many people interpret that to mean we put all these ballots we're receiving away until election day, and then we'll start counting. But Philadelphia says, they didn't say anything about examining the outside of the ballot, did they? So if we see a problem there, they hire these Zuckerberg fund, you know, with the Zuckerberg funding, they hire people to go and cure the ballots for these Democrat voters, but Republican voters weren't getting that same treatment. In in the counties where they lived. And that kind of disparate impact has a huge role in the issue because Republicans tend not to vote by mail. Democrats tend to vote by mail. And, um, you know, and we're talking about states with pretty fine margins.
1: Yeah. I mean, it had to have a huge impact. Um, I I want to return to this question, though, of these large uh, companies, whether it's Facebook or Google and their involvement in the election. I mean, let's imagine for a second if Fox News said we're going to give free advertising to one political party. Or imagine if Exxon said we're going to give free gasoline to one political campaign. That would not be accepted, obviously, because it's illegal. Corporations cannot make in-kind contributions like that. You have with Google and Facebook, though, giving something much more valuable than free gas or free advertising. You have these big tech companies that are literally distorting the lens through which people get their information. It's a massive in-kind contribution. And... The thing that 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 I'm sort of surprised by, Molly, maybe I'm just, you know, sort of naive about this is why there's not an outcry in Washington um, at the Federal Election Commission by members of Congress. I mean, they kind of talk about it. But to me, this this strikes me as blatantly illegal, even when a company wants to run an ad, let's say, on, you know, issues related to climate change or energy policy. They have to clearly disclose, you know, this ad is brought to you by when it comes to Google and Facebook and this manipulation, what they did in 2020, the censorship and what they're doing now today uh, is so much more blatant, so much more important. And there's there's no legal repercussion. We're having these hearings about, you know, regulatory changes. Um, I don't see how this behavior is actually is actually legal in the context of a federal election law.
2: So I. I was just thinking about how this – what we're experiencing with the war on freedom of information by these powerful tech companies is like if it were the 1980s and only the Democratic Party were allowed to run TV ads Mm. or radio ads or, or newspaper ads, nobody would think that contributed to a free and fair election. That's what we're experiencing. I mean, we didn't even talk about how part of the tech CEO's plan to subvert the will of the people includes deplatforming and marginalizing all the effective voices that are their political opposition. And they've done that brilliantly. They have they have, you know, these, you know, whether they're meme makers or the president of the United States, they have managed to to exert powerful control over what people think and understand. But you asked why more isn't being done. And I think, you know, part of it has to do with some systemic issues on the right. The Republican Party has always had this free market orthodoxy and this viewpoint that, you know, if you don't like something, you just build your own company. And so unfortunately, there are all these conservative think tanks and even media publications that are themselves funded or you know in right. part or or reliant in some way on these big tech firms so they're not coming up with policy ideas for how to thwart them because they are they're co-opted by them and even like the general donor base which might not be as tech savvy doesn't understand that the whole republic might fail because people aren't coming up with policy or regulatory solutions right now these tech companies are more powerful than the government and they are at odds with our founding principles.
0: I'm smiling because when we were producing the film, the creepy line, which exposed Google and Facebook and all the different things that they do, a buddy of mine who works for one of those conservative think tanks offered to put him in the film, And uh, he declined (laughs) because (laughs) they take money from um, some of those same funders, you know, as he would like to say, you know, freedom ain't free, as it turns (laughs) out, you got to you got to fund that bad boy. Um, But so I think what's insane is everything you just said is true. And so like, that's like the big picture. That's controlling the airwaves. That's controlling the media. That's controlling the, the atmosphere. And then. But they also controlled the ground. And I guess that would just be the the last thing I would want you to touch on. What happened with these Zuck Bucks and how did the Zuck Bucks impact the way in which the actual election administration occurred on the ground? And then what would you say to people that would push back and say, well, it sounds like because we had some liberals kind of read your book and say, well, give, give me some pushback on this. They say, well, it sounds like the conservatives and the Republicans just got out organized. So how is the how is the infiltration of, you know, nonprofit, but clearly ideological money into election offices, not just being out organized?
2: Right. I, I think when people first hear this, they just think, oh, well, the left spent more money and spent it smartly like. It's your own problem that you didn't do this. But I don't think they realize this is not about spending on campaigns. This is about spending to take over government election offices by the world's most powerful, one of the world's most powerful and wealthy men. It was a brilliant strategy. I do have to admit that. Um, and I, you, you go back to the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, which is the uh, foundation that Mark Zuckerberg uh, bankrolls. That employs David Plouffe, this Obama strategist, who said just before 2020 campaign gets going that it's going to come down to a street fight in Detroit and Philadelphia and, you know, names a few like key cities. This private takeover of government election offices was targeted to doing that street fight with Democrat money and Democrat staff, but through the government election offices that are supposed to be strictly nonpartisan. And so what they did uh, Mark Zuckerberg spent $419 million, which is about how much the federal government spent to ostensibly help with COVID voting, like this would pay for the personal protective equipment of campaign vol- or of um, election volunteers. Only like less than 1% went to that. The rest went to running Democrat get-out-the-vote operations through the government offices. So they would give a ton of money to blue counties in swing states to handle everything from voter registration and like messaging to get people to register to vote, like we were talking about what Google does um, separately, to designing ballots, translating ballots, uh, running radio ads to targeted Democrat communities. uh, running radio ads to target Which, by the Democrat way, just like they
0: said that. I mean, that's what's crazy. If you go and look at what these, like the five cities in Wisconsin, when they said, when they applied for the Zuckerberg money, that what will you do with this money? I mean, one of the things that they said, in addition to getting like an RV to go to historically underrepresented areas, was to hire a marketing campaign to target historically underrepresented or black and brown voters in these urban areas. I mean, they're saying they're going to target Democrat voters by any other name.
2: And and that would be that would be shocking, even if you didn't already have this systemic bias of Democrats voting by mail and Republicans being leery of voting by mail. Um, and they also were involved in this staffing up of ballot counting or, you know, people were people were funded um, to pick mach- voting machine equipment, you know, like the whole process and it embedded people into the system. They're learning things like which streets have had the most vote by mail returns, which ones haven't so they can know where to harvest. This is the type of information that if you were a private partisan campaign, you would be willing to pay a ton of money for, you know, or it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to find out. And here you had people embedded into the system. Like it was good targeting. Although to be fair, it was the Georgia Secretary of State's office that came up with the idea that this would be a brilliant strategy to bring Democrats in to do Democrat get out the vote efforts in the biggest Democrat county.
0: Yeah, I mean, I highly recommend uh, your book, but I think my favorite is on you know page 206. But you say what made 2020 different. Was it for the first time ever, the groups that supported Democrats were allowed on a widespread basis to cross that bright red line that separates government officials who administer an election from political operatives? And in 2020, funded by Mark Zuckerberg, directed by an Obama campaign official, that line was crossed and everyone was just sort of okay with it. Um, And I think it's it's a brilliant insight and I think it's a very detailed thing. You know, my book... I'm not saying it didn't do very well, but you know when you get my book on Amazon, it says customers also bought a rope and a stool. You know what I mean? <laughs> but your book is uh, is excellent. And I highly recommend it. And I think if you care about election integrity, and you care about the future of American democracy, you should uh, you should definitely get this book rigged by Molly Hemingway.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Molly, it's uh, been great to have you join us uh, again. I would commend everybody to read. Anytime you see Molly's byline, you want to read it. You're going to learn something new. Uh, and we appreciate you joining us here on The Drill Down.
2: Thank you so much.
1: If you want to uh, listen to more of our podcasts, you can go to the Drilldown dot com. Thanks so much for joining us.